right, thank you so much, Sally. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, for those who don't know me, if you're visiting, I'm Matt. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. It is my delight to welcome you, as Mark already has. We're going to dig into God's word now together. I want to pray just before we do. So loving, gracious, and wonderful God, we say thank you for the gift of your word And we pray now in this moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd speak to our hearts. You'd touch us again, that we may be made more like Jesus, we may see more of Jesus, and we may worship and glorify Jesus more this day. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I've literally called, check out that ominous, ominous picture there. I've called this... From the realm of glory. This is Zechariah's encounter with Gabriel. Methinks Gabriel looked even more awesome than that. But hey, I don't know. I'm guessing he did. So we're going to look at this. Um, this week something happened. Uh, there was uh, a turning of the page in my household. There was a changing of the seasons. And it was this. My kids started to sing Christmas songs, and I allowed it. That's the key. Up to the back, don't do that. I was like, okay, all right, it's time to sing them. So playing dominoes with little Harry whilst he's humming to himself. I'm like, oh, that's all right, you can do that. I'm going to stop that. Uh, Literally skipping around our front room uh, with the two girls to indulge you below. We did that for about six minutes. I was exhausted. But it was really good. There you go. That's what's been happening in my house. Little snapshot. Um, But I asked them, what's your favorite song, kids? And had all sorts of answers. Uh, Frosty the Snowman was up there. Hey, who knew? Um, I didn't know that was still a good song. But yeah, it is. Um, And uh, Amelie on Joy to the World. Awesome choice, that one. What about you guys? If I throw it out really quickly. Favorite Christmas song, secular or sacred? Go for it. Who's brave enough? Favorite. Mary's Boy Child. Whoever said that, that's beautiful. Say again. Joy to the world. Yep. Hark the herald angels. Have we got any secular ones? Anyone going to admit fairy tale of New York? Thank you, Mark. Nice we've got the pastor here just to lower the tone. That's excellent. Joy to the world. Thank you, Mark. We'll, uh, we'll remember that. Absolutely. But there are so many lovely songs. Interestingly, um, you may know that Classic FM, I need to not stand behind this now, it's nice, isn't it? Um, Classic FM do a nation's favourite carol every year. And have you noticed what I've noticed every single year? Do you know which one it is? You'd think it was. That's number two. It's, yeah. It's O Holy Night. I find that fascinating. Because there's something about that particular carol that's different, isn't it, to some of the others. There's something about it that isn't, oh, have a holy day, isn't it going to be lovely? The carol actually demands that we pay attention and realize that something extraordinary has happened. Fall on your knees and hear the angel voices. Wow, night divine. Night when Christ was born. 
gives me goosebumps even saying it now. (laughs) That carol's different. And what I've called this mini-series is Hear the Angel Voices. Because that's what we're going to do as we begin to prepare for Advent. As we step into it now, we're not preparing for Advent, as we prepare for Christmas and step into Advent... I want us to prepare by listening to the mighty messengers of God, whose words signalled the turning of the page on a brand new chapter in history. Something of such significance that God sent his very best, his messengers to come and in this flurry of activity and to declare what God was doing. The sound of their voices indicate the turning from the old to the new, between all that had come before and all that would come next, between the covenant with God that had been built over centuries of law and history and ritual to reveal a new covenant that would come through Jesus Christ. His Son made flesh the fulfilment of all that had come before. And actually... You can do the physical turning in your Bible before we turn to the New Testament. And this amazing moment where we begin to realise all the prophecies and all the hopes of the old are starting to come to reality in Christ. Before we do, if we turn back just to Malachi, the very last prophet, uh, the minor prophet at the very end of the Old Testament, the final words we hear are these. They're words of a hope to come. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace, says the Lord Almighty. For you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings or in his rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. My goodness. It's an extraordinary final promise, hope set at the end of the Old Testament there. That one day, and that day is coming, surely I will act, says the Lord. I am going to. And you'll see my glory revealed. Before that day I will send Elijah. What we need to realise as we turn to this chapter in Luke this morning that we're going to be looking at is it's actually been 400 years since those words were spoken by the prophet Malachi. Since then, many refer to it as a time of silence from the Lord. No prophet spoke stirred by the Holy Spirit in that time. Yet Israel had returned from their devastating exile from the Babylonians who had destroyed their temple, they had returned and they had under Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple and yet, and yet, they had been crushed over and over and over again. They had been invaded and dominated over again by the Persians and the Greeks and the Egyptians and the Syrians who even desecrated this temple of theirs. And then finally the Roman Empire sweeps in 
over all their defences and this time there's nothing they can do yet again. And the Romans desecrate the temple yet again. And God's people are hurting. God's people are in pain. And there is a puppet government set up and a ruler, King Herod the Great, to rule over this fracturing and fractured and hurting people as the Romans oversee the whole thing. The situation was dark, it was painful, it seemed hopeless. And yet somehow, and we need to understand this, somehow despite it all, the temple was still there. Despite it all, this holy site was still operating. In fact, I wonder if I've got a picture of it. There's a model of what it might have looked like. In fact, it'd been expanded by this Herod the Great in a kind of desire to win over the people. And yet, offerings and symbolism and rituals and sacrifices were still being made in this place. Day after day. And the great hope was that behind all these things, behind all these rituals and structure and beauty and gold, really was the presence of a God whose glory was beyond comprehension. That one day his promise to restore his people would really come to pass. It was a symbol of hope, but it was also standing there like an unanswered question. Does God still hear us? Is he still listening? Is he really still with us? Surely that day will come, he said. But would it? And when? It's into this context that we now turn the page literally from the Old Testament to the New. We're here at the beginning of Luke and we begin to hear the angel voices that start to declare the change is coming now. Change is coming. And the first voice we hear is the voice of Gabriel who speaks to an elderly priest called Zechariah who is performing duties in the temple of God. We read that once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He'd been chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside so in he goes, and then the angel of, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Now it's really easy for us to miss just why Zechariah would have been so afraid. We love to sing at Christmas about angels from the realms of glory. Isn't it lovely, lovely to... We do, but what are we really saying there? What would it have been like for Zechariah to encounter this angel from the realm of the glory of God? Whoa. To help us understand this, I want us to understand really quickly, as quick as I can, uh, what Zechariah was doing that day. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching. Come with me. We're going to go and work out what's going on with the temple because it makes sense of this story. You see, the Old Covenant, we must remember, Israel was the only place people could come to meet with the living God. God had made a covenant relationship with these people, a promise with this nation that if they follow him, he will be their God. And more than that, he'll dwell with them in the presence, his presence in the temple that they built according to his instructions. And yet, although God promised to dwell with these people, there was no swaggering up to approach the glory of God. You couldn't just pop into the temple for a quick prayer like popping into the corner shop, you know, for a quick pint of milk and a packet of crisps. There was an entire 
system of sacrifice and ritual, the shedding of blood of an animal required for prayers to be offered to approach the glory of God. And even then there was no direct access. You had to, um, let me show you. This is, for some of you who love diagrams, some of you won't, but you literally, here's here's an artist's impression. I mean, that really is something else. Um, But here's the outside of this, and you can see it over here, huge big temple grounds. This is the temple that's been changed and built, made bigger by Herod the Great. But um, if you were in there, that was a pretty special place to be. But then uh, if, if you were uh, an Israelite, you could step into the outer court. Uh, but that's where the women had to stay. And then if you were a male and you were coming to bring a sacrifice, you brought your animal and you stepped in through this next gate. And there you were stopped before this enormous altar um, outside with the burning of animals and sacrifices being made as you handed over the animal you had bought as an offering, as a sacrifice, as a prayer, and it would be taken off you by the priests. They were the only ones who could do that. But even then, you couldn't enter this extraordinary temple building here. At the heart of it all, you can see it up here. Only the priests could enter there on your behalf, and only when they were performing sacred duties. Inside the holy place, it would have been covered in gold. It was lit by the flickering light of a lampstand. You'll have seen a lampstand where the candles were always replaced so the, so the light never went out, representing the eternal light of God. And there was a table there with the showbread or the bread of the presence, 12 loaves, always before the Lord, that represented his provision and his care for his people. And then finally, just in front of this enormous glorious curtain was a golden altar called the altar of incense where incense was burned and behind that curtain was as many of you already know so we're in this bit at the moment there's the curtain smaller chamber most holiest place of all the holy of holies within which originally in the first temple the one before it was destroyed two enormous cherubim angels stood with wings 10 meters across And between them was a foundation stone. And on that foundation stone, the Ark of the Covenant, the golden box containing the law given by God. And above that, what's called the mercy seat or the lid, with two cherubim facing each other, the presence of God himself would dwell. The glory of heaven actually dwelt here on earth, a place where the Shekinah glory of God himself chose to dwell it's extraordinary it's beyond comprehension and yet this inner chamber as you can imagine was so holy that the priests even the priests could not enter it only the great high priest could enter into this chamber and just once a year the day of atonement yom kippur this is the holiest day in the calendar in which the impossible would happen a human being was allowed to come into the presence of God and live. Whoa. Whoa. On that day alone, after ritual cleansing, the high priest was able to enter behind the curtain and actually approach the glory of God, make a sin offering by sprinkling blood in the presence of God for all the people. It was the greatest annual offering made by a human being in the presence of God for the forgiveness of all. 
so holy was that day that ten days of preparation, ten days of awe, it was called, preceded it, when the people would be involved in repentance and cleansing and fasting so that they may be considered worthy, so that God might be merciful in that moment where their representative would step behind that curtain and approach the presence of God, so that God would be merciful. Even then, tradition has it, and the presence of God was so feared and so uh, awesome that the great high priest would tie a rope around his ankle lest he died there and he could be pulled back out. I don't know if that tradition's true, we don't know, but it gives you an idea of the awe of the presence and the glory of God in that place. So now we turn to Zechariah. Here he is. He was one of 18,000 priests at the time. Descended from the tribe of Levi, divided into 24 divisions, 350 men in each. And for just two weeks a year, their division would be on. They weren't always at the temple. They were called for two weeks a year. The rest of the time, they had secular jobs. And so the time came, and he came to Jerusalem to, uh, to uh, be involved in uh, the temple duty. And there were many things to do, you can imagine, all around the temple grounds. Sacred and practical. Sacrifices, cleaning, praying, reading the Psalms, attending to the altar, maintaining the fires, serving. But each job was, particularly the important jobs, were chosen by drawing lots each day. And for the ordinary priest, there was one job that was higher and more coveted than any other, more honoured than any other. And that was the job of going in that holy place, not the holy of holies, remember that's just for the great, uh, the high priest once a year, but for them to be able to step into that holy place and to burn incense on the altar and to pray and intercede for God's people. It was such an honour that you were only able to do it once in your lifetime. Once. Never again. And that day, after years of never being chosen, Zechariah was finally chosen to enter the holy place, to offer the prayer of incense to God, to approach his glory. It was without doubt the most important moment in his life. And he would have gone in there with two attendants who would have helped him sort out the the coal and put new coal in from the altar to make it burn on the top of the altar. And then they would have shuffled out in respect and he would have been alone, stood there, the flickering candle. And when the signal was given, he would have poured the incense onto the altar, the hot coals, and the room would have been filled with the sweet smoke. And it would have poured out of the temple door as he prayed for the people. And then he would come back out and he would stand on the steps that we saw with the other priests and he would pray the Aaronic blessing. Having been close to the presence of God, he would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. It was extraordinary. And at least that's what Zechariah thought would happen that day. And of course that's not what happened. On this day something even more extraordinary occurred. Zechariah stepped into the holy place with that gold all around him as the attendants ushered out, as he stood there on his own, knowing that all the other priests were outside prostrate, waiting, waiting in holy prayer for him to come back out and declare the blessing. It was in that moment 
as he poured the, coal, uh, the, the incense on the coals and the smoke began to fill, but an angel of the Lord appeared beside the altar. It is no surprise when we're dealing with such an understanding of the holy, Zechariah was startled and gripped with fear. What was this? Judgment? Was this the end for him? We read that he and Elizabeth couldn't have children, even though they were uh, righteous people who followed every law. They still wondered, could it be that it was somehow God's judgment? They had kind of misunderstood all of that stuff at that point, but they wondered. And now he must have stood there and thought, is this me gone? Will I be dragged out of this place? And yet we hear what the angel said. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. It's not a message of judgment. Come on. It's a message of grace and a message of hope. It's an extraordinary message. Your prayer has been heard. Literally the prayer you have offered through all the glory and the ritual and the temple and the sacrifices and the offering and the incense and the smoke. Your prayer has made it into the heavenly realms. The Lord has heard and that is why I'm here now. On an initial read we might consider, well the prayer obviously he prayed was, Lord please can I have a child as he stood there before that altar. And that must be the prayer that we think the angel's referring to. But it's very unlikely he prayed that there. He had kind of given up on the thought of having children. We find out later by his response. We also must remember he was a, a high priest. Not a high priest, a priest from the Levite tribe going in to perform sacred duties. The most sacred duty of his life. He was there to intercede for the people. He was there before God to say, Lord, have mercy on your people. Come visit us, God. That would have been his prayer. This was the prayer as he interceded for the people that the angel says, it has been heard. This was the great prayer that had gone up from God's people throughout the ages. Save us, Lord. Do what you have promised, Lord. Come to us. The angel declares that that prayer is answered. And now, in God's perfect timing, he is acting. You will have a son. And echoing the words of Malachi, he says this son is going to be extraordinary. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He's going to prepare a way for the Lord. He's going to help people to understand wisdom. He's going to help people to repent and to change. Relationships will be restored This son is part of God's great plan. John, it literally means the grace of God. John, John is going to help people be prepared. Just like in that great preparation for Yom Kippur, the days of awe. They're going to prepare themselves through John's work to meet with the presence of God himself. God is coming. It's extraordinary. And yet, isn't it beautiful? Even as God answers that great prayer, that great prayer of his people, offered in the temple, so too, he answers the long given up prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth at the same time. A prayer they probably thought had gone unheard all their lives. And in his response, the angel is saying, your prayer has been heard too. 
God is moving, he's bringing about his great plan of salvation, but even as he does, he's heard your individual prayer. An old couple longing for a child. Your personal pain, your cries to God have been heard, Zechariah. And in this moment, we see one of the great wonders and truths of our faith, brothers and sisters. It's not all just empty ritual. The greatest prayers given in that time at the temple of God were indeed heard in the heavenly realms by our glorious God. But so too were the quiet struggling prayers of the hurting individual whispered from the quiet of their own heart. God has always been listening and he is listening now. Think for a moment, the words you say are heard by almighty God. When you pray, it's not all ritual. He hears and he cares. The prayers and the words you speak really do, like that smoke of incense, rise up to heaven and reach his ear. Remember as a young Christian, I can't remember if I was a Christian or not at the time, but I was certainly younger Maybe just before I became a Christian, I was stood outside of a prayer meeting at Taunton Baptist Church where I was brought up. And I remember listening in outside the door and this lovely man named Jack prayed this prayer where he said in his beautiful voice, Lord, incline your ear to us. And I stood outside and I kind of understood something. This idea that the Lord literally goes, I'm listening. Everything you say, I'm hearing. I care. I will answer in my good time. So pray, friends. Pray, brothers and sisters. He hasn't forgotten your personal needs, even in his great salvation plan. His plans are bigger than you and I, far bigger than we could ever comprehend. And yet, every prayer you pray matters to him. So pray. And pray again. And pray some more. And pray again and know that you are heard. The last thing I want us to think about here this morning, on this first Sunday of Advent, is the inconceivable glory, really, of our God. Because in that moment, Zechariah stands there in the glory of the temple, filled with this smoke just in front of the Holy of Holies, behind that curtain, so close to the glory of God. And then this mighty angel Gabriel comes from the realm of glory to declare to him this wonderful message from God. And in the most human of responses, we hear him say to the angel in that moment, all right, so um, how can I be sure of this then? And your heart sings. <laughs> like Zechariah. Zechariah. Yeah, I'm quite old, so um, probably can't happen, can it? Zechariah. <laughs> Honestly. And in reply, Gabriel, if I'm honest, holds nothing back. He literally says this. I am Gabriel. And I stand for the presence of God. And he has sent me to tell you. And this will happen. Now you, because of your doubting, will be silent. And you go, oh, okay. So I was reading that this week. 
the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. How can I know this? I am Gabriel. And unlike those statues that were there in the Holy of Holies, I'm not a statue. Not only have I been in the Holy of Holies, I stand before the throne of God, day in, day out, in his holy presence. And I declare to you his word that he has sent me to share. And now you will be silent. I think, in some ways, rather than telling you, I, I, I mean, Gabriel wasn't meaning to be mean, and, and, you know, let's make it a bit softer, because we don't like that thought about him making him not be able to speak. I just want to say to you, I think it's grace that he got out of there alive at all. <laughs> I, I really do. Honestly, we can't molly-cuddle ourselves too much. Literally, he got out alive, and that's because of God's wonderful grace. <laughs> and he got outside... And all the others would have been still prostrate on the ground, um, uh, wondering, uh, where, where is he? Uh, why is he taking so long? What's happened? He comes out and he goes, I can't. Well, he doesn't go, I can't. Goes, and they realize he's encountered the holy in that place. There was no benediction from Zechariah that day. There was just silence before God, what God was doing, before the wonder of his plan. See, friends, as I close this down, we're going to finish by listening to a song in a moment. I want to say to you, sometimes we can forget the awesome holiness and glory of our God. If the presence of an angel is to be feared and respected in awe and trembling, I want to say to you this morning, how much more worthy of our honour, our respect and our praise is the one upon whom the sixth wind seraph cannot gaze but rather cover their eyes because his glory is so great how much more worthy is the one to whom the heavenly angels day and night we read never stop declaring holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come how much more worthy is the one upon whom thousands and thousands and myriads and myriads of heavenly hosts cry Worthy are you of all power and wealth and strength and honour and glory and praise before whom the elders fall at his feet. However glorious the temple, however glorious the holy place, however glorious the holy of holies, however glorious the presence of Gabriel that day, nothing will ever come close to the glory of our Lord. His glory is beyond description. Ezekiel once tried to sum up his glory. He said in Ezekiel 1, go and read it this afternoon. It will make you smile. I saw this vision and heaven opened and I looked and I saw a vision of God. And there was windstorms and lightning and flashing and light and creatures and wings and wheels. And there was topaz and crystal and sounds of rushing waters and a throne of lapis lazuli and fire and rainbows and clouds and radiance. And then he said this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He didn't say it was the glory, or he didn't say it was the Lord he saw. He didn't say it was the glory of the Lord he even witnessed. He didn't even say it was the likeness of the glory of the Lord he had just about begun to comprehend. This was merely the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And he says, I saw it and I fell as if dead. Wow. The utter wonder and majesty 
The glory of our God is beyond human imagination. And yet, the message, the extraordinary truth of Christmas as we prepare this Advent, is that this Lord of glory chose to come dwell with us. Face to face. Vulnerable baby. Nice timing. Nice timing. Isn't it extraordinary? The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was found in the likeness of man, in human flesh. He made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That day... As Gabriel spoke, the chapter really did turn. God himself was coming. The unthinkable, the breaking in of the God of glory into our world. And all that that great temple stood for would find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He's the one who is the bread of life. That bread that was sat there. He is the light who shines and never ever can be put out. Shining hope in the darkness. He is the great high priest who stands before the throne of the Father and intercedes for us day in and day out. He's the sacrifice who would shed his own blood to bring us, you and me, full forgiveness for all who put their trust in him. He's the one and only through whom we can have a relationship with the Father. On that great and terrible day of his death, he atoned for us all. He paid the price for us all and that curtain separated the Holy of Holies tore from top to bottom. The old covenant had come to an end. The new covenant was now made possible because of Christ Jesus our Lord. He's the one we put our hope in. He's the answer to our every prayer. He's the foundation stone of all history. And now scripture says we can boldly approach the throne of God because he's our great high priest. Wow. Today, I want us all just to simply comprehend a little bit more of the glory and holiness of our Lord Jesus Christ. The utter incomprehensible profundity that he came to earth to dwell with us. I want us to listen to this song. It's 1,700 years old. Our Christian forefathers simply tried to respond to the glory of Jesus' coming in this song of profound worship. It happens to be one of my most favourite. Technically, it's a communion song or an Advent song. It's about the coming of Christ. And it gives us no gentle nudge or softened request. It simply declares, let all mortal flesh keep silence at the wonder of the coming of Christ our Lord. So this morning for a moment, let all mortal flesh keep silence as we bow our hearts in awe of Jesus and his coming. Remain seated, just in prayer, listen. Lord Jesus, this morning, we are in awe again at the wonder of your coming. We are in awe that you chose to come and dwell with us to save us 
Because you love us. Help us, I pray, this Advent, to turn our eyes truly to you and the wonder and glory of who you are. Forgive us when we over-familiarize or we don't take you seriously enough. Render our hearts this morning. Soften them. That we may see you more clearly and worship you more fully. And we wonder and we can barely comprehend that you love even now to dwell with us by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Let us never underestimate it, Lord. And we say, come now. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Presence of God. Come and touch us afresh. As we stand in your presence. In awe and wonder.